Hey everybody, it's Antoine and Daniel from Humble Husband. Encouraging men through all seasons of life. Extravaganza. Thank you so much. We're going to do the same thing this time where we just kind of bounce questions off of each other and we really have no idea what we're going to ask. So anything can happen. It's kind of up in the air. So whatever you hear from us, it's not rehearsed at all. This is just the real answer uh, from us and it's not studied or polished or any of that stuff. So let's go ahead and jump right in. What you got for me, man? Ready? Yeah, let's, let's get it. Why is sex important for your marriage? Wait a minute. So you just gonna come out the gate. Look, look, listen. So first of all, set. You gotta have sex. Let's just let's be honest. Like, life without sex would just suck. Tweet that. Life without sex. Would suck. No. So something I think we underestimate in marriage is we always think sex is all about the physical interaction, which it is. Like it very much is a physical interaction between husband and wife. But more than that, deeper than that, is a spiritual connection that is happening as well. So I say that because a lot of times, you know, the whole thing about makeup sex, right? Um, I feel like we've taken that way out of context. But... In its most basic form, if you have an argument with your wife and you guys make love, you always feel better afterwards. There's something that happens when you guys are physically intimate that draws you closer together, that brings you uh, closer and you have a connection. So sex is super duper important. Now as men though, a lot of times we have the tendency to take it out of context and think that it's all about sex and always about sex. And I have to, I have to be honest here. And, and say this, that when we lead conversations and our daily lives with the aspect that sex is all that we need and sex is all that I have to get throughout the day, our wives see that as a huge turn off. But when we approach sex as something that helps us connect better with them, then our wives are usually more receptive to that. So sex is super duper, 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 duper important. Don't not have sex and use sex as a, as a weapon against your wife for control or or lack of control, whatever it is. I know it's weird to think that sometimes as men we wouldn't want to have sex, but it can happen. You know, you're having a, a long day, you're tired, whatever. She's ready, you're like, uh, no, 
Like, I just want to chill, drink a beer, and watch sports. Well, if you don't articulate that, you're telling her that she doesn't matter. So we've got to be better at articulating that, and even in moments where we don't feel like it, just like there's times where she doesn't feel like it, to still take the time to be physically intimate uh, in sexual intercourse. So Daniel. Yes, sir. My first question for you is, what's the hardest thing about being a dad? Right now? Right now. Right now. Like, today. Today. Well, Brayden had a really awesome day. Oh, there you go. Praise God. So, in general. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think the hardest thing right now for me is there's kind of a lot of self-reflection and a lot of... Am I doing the right thing constantly happening? Um, especially for guys out there who didn't really have a father figure growing up, I think it's really hard to step into a role that you never got to see be done well. Yeah. And, you know, so trying to step into, I want to be a good dad, I want to teach him all the right things, I want to teach him how to be a gentleman, um, all of those things, it's all new territory. So it's like, it's like riding a bike, but I don't have training wheels and I don't have someone to help me and I'm just kind of getting on and going. Um, but even in general, I think that men are in a really pivotal time where we need the next generation of men to really step up and lead well in their communities and in life um, because men come under a lot of attacks right now. So I think that really just being a good example is just in general hard because the good example is not what's kind of fed out mainstream. There's just a lot of mix. And I know that women can say the same thing, but just in general, there's not a lot of positivity going out about men right now. You know, from any level, I mean, you take the president, which when I was growing up, like being the president was so cool. And now it's like, you know, our presidential candidates and president are constantly attacked and bombarded. And it's just, it's kind of hard for this next generation to kind of grow into something positive because we're not giving them really good strong role models to grow into like I can be Captain America one day you know he's like the cool guy right now but that's not realistic right. <clears throat> ready what you got? yeah what you got ready question number two does prayer fix everything does prayer fix everything um I want to say yes, but I want to elaborate. Yes, prayer fixes everything, but from that prayer, you still have to act. And I think a lot of times we want to either just act or we want to just pray. But if I'm talking about prayer, if I don't realize that in that prayer, I'm also supposed to listen to God versus just tell, all, tell God all of my baggage and stuff that just, you know, I want to get off my chest. Like, you know, it's a vent session and he's just supposed to listen to me then I can expect, I cannot expect prayer to work if that's all it's about. But if prayer is a conversation and a time when we get together, you know, me and God, we get together and I'm listening for the guidance that he wants to give me and how to handle a situation, then I will say, yes, prayer does fix everything because there is many things that have happened in my life that have only been answered by prayer. Whether it was God gave me the wisdom to handle the situation or literally I prayed and somehow something intervened or, or somebody came along and helped me in whatever I was going through. Um, so yeah, prayer is pivotal to everything that we do. 
And I don't think as a, a culture we pray enough. I think, again, with the whole just praying or just acting, I think a lot of times we just act because we have been uh, kind of told growing up that we have to just go get it. We have to be go-getters. You know, if you want to get it, get just go get it. Get it right now. Go. Get your college degree. Get a great job. Get a house. Get a bad wife. All that stuff. Get it right now. And that's cool. But... God wants to speak to us in all those decisions, and if we're just only waiting till the times of uh, when something bad is happening, then that's not really uh, the prayer life that God wants us to have. God wants us to be in such communion with Him, to just have such a relationship with Him that like, we hear Him constantly, moment to moment. He can say something to us, and we have the ears to hear it because we've been having a conversation with Him. So yes, I do believe prayer fixes everything. So, let's keep it moving. My second question for you is, why does Hollywood always make men to be the buffoon in movies? Oh, you gotta think about this one. <laughs> you know how I like to be tacked. Uh-huh. And you know how I like to, yeah. to censor myself uh -huh. because... You know, if not, <laughs> bad things come out. Um, no, I'm going to say... Because we, we allow it. So take a TV show or a movie in which this happens all the time. And by we, I say collectively, like the nation, we. So say there is this TV show that the dude is just half an hour of buffoonery. He's a dumb dude, you know, whatever. If everyone in the country changed the channel at that one time, it would stop happening. But there is a majority of people that like to see that, so we allow it to happen. Is it right? No. <laughs> but, um, you know, at in the same token, where is the opposite? Where are the men who are stepping up to say no we need a strong male figure out there. Yes, that's not attached to uh, blowing stuff up or being yeah. a CEO at a Fortune 500 company or something. Right. So, so can I can I do a part two to that question though? Sure. So why? So we, we talked about the buffoon in the movies. Uh -huh. So why on the other side of that is the like very stoic, reserved. Uh, husband slash dad in movies why is that always an attraction for Hollywood as well because that is the male equivalent to sex cells that man is very attractive to women because that man is young women say I want that in my future husband that is the male equivalent to sex cells can I do one more? I'm sorry. I know we got to keep moving. But Part three. So, 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 so ah, I'm trying to be tactful too. So w women are attracted to a man that's very reserved and stoic, yet when they get married, he's supposed to talk about his feelings. But why? Why do we have that? So I'm going to answer your question Contradiction. Question. Okay. So why? So the opposite. Why are most men attracted to aesthetically appeasing women but okay. when they get married she's supposed to submit to him Ooh, touche next question <laughs> <laughs> 
Why is it important um, for men to find a friend outside of their spouse to do life together with? Uh, I think it's because because a lot of times we deal with things as men that our wives literally cannot understand. And it's not because they don't want to understand, it's literally that they don't deal with the same stuff that we deal with a lot of times. So, you know, for me to have, you know, an issue at work, you know, with my career or whatever, uh, my wife may have a certain perspective. It doesn't mean it's a wrong perspective. It just means she has a certain perspective. And if you've ever watched Love and Respect, she has a pink perspective and that's good but in that I may need a blue solution you know another man to, to be able to speak to me in that moment um, and again it doesn't mean that her her opinion or uh, her perspective is wrong or not valued it's very valued but we as men need community because the Bible says iron sharpens iron and I love that scripture because like we talked about before that scripture does not say perfect iron sharpens iron. It doesn't say seasoned iron sharpens iron. It doesn't say I have it all together iron sharpens iron. No, it's just iron sharpens iron. So you and somebody you're doing life with can cling, 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 and build each other up. So community is so important. And as men, we need that. Daniel, who's doing this podcast with me, I love you, man, because we do life together. We, we try. To, yeah, right. Sometimes it's a struggle, but we get through it. It is a struggle, exactly. <laughs> you know, we, we laugh together. We've almost cried. You know, we may, we don't cry. I'm just playing. We have cried together. Uh, and it's okay because we're there for one another. And I know that if he wasn't there for some of those moments, I may not have gotten through through it the way that I should have. So I thank God that, you, you know, he's put you in my life, bro. You'll make me cry. Don't cry. What's your question? <laughs> <laughs> so... Ooh, you ready? Uh huh. Question number three for you, sir. Why is it hard for men to worship in a church setting? You know what? I'm, I can answer this from a personal perspective. Okay. Um, because if you've seen me grow over the past couple of months in, in a church setting, um, because, oh, tactful, tactful, tactful. <laughs> No, I'm just going to go with that. Uh, men are just scared. Like, we we like to put on this big front that I'm big macho man. You can't see it, but I'm, I'm machoing my arms around. <laughs> um, but then you get to this moment where, you know, either the worship team is doing their thing or your pastor is doing his thing or her thing, if you have a lady pastor. Um, and you come to this moment, you come to this wall where... Jesus is right on the other side and you can see him and you can feel his presence and all it takes is a simple touch of the wall and it shatters and we're scared. You know, it is such a moment of vulnerability to know that Christ is going to enter my life in a way that he's never done before and what is that going to do to me? Am I going to cry? Am I going to break down? Am I going to scream in joy? What is going to happen? I think that men are just really scared of that moment and i had that moment i legit broke down crying in the back of the church a couple weeks ago (laughs) Um, but i'm glad i had that moment because it has allowed me to really just worship in service and kind of understand that atmosphere a lot better 
That's what's up. Ready? Let's get it. Why is temptation so easy and and kind of attractive? Why why isn't temptation like, ooh, don't don't, don't go there? But it's like, ooh, look at this temptation, like and it just kind of flutters around your mind. Why why is it so easy to be tempted into sin? So the biblical answer is that we are all suffering from the fall because Adam and Eve were tripping and they shouldn't have ate from the tree. Question over. No. Um, <laughs> you know, so there's that. Um, that's a very biblical answer. But I also think a practical answer to that is that temptation, we are attracted to temptation because it's everywhere around us. And if I'm trying to keep, you know, my, my sins may be a little differently. Obviously we have like sin in general, but then there's some things that are not necessarily a sin, but there's some just, there's some things that I should just stay, stay away from. So let me give you an example. I haven't eaten sunflower seeds in over two years. And Daniel could probably attest to this. I used to eat sunflower seeds all the freaking time. All the time. <laughs> so now is that a sin? No, I mean my sodium intake was freaking high and you know I could have a heart attack at any moment, but it's not necessarily a sin. So in, in that, what I'm saying is I still will go to a convenience store and see a pack of sunflower seeds and be like, I'm just gonna have a bag. But then I remember like how, I mean I'll just say it, I was addicted to sunflower seeds. I was straight up addicted to them. So now I, I enjoy the freedom of not being addicted to sunflower seeds. Now. Take that and put that example into something more serious like a pornography addiction or, you know, cheating on your wife or whatever. Because culture supports those types of things as long as it makes me feel good, then it's okay to do. So when I'm walking around my world and I'm seeing sex sales here, sex sales there, uh, career promotion here, career promotion there, whatever it may be, and even if it's unhealthy for me, I, there's still part of me that wants to go after that. Again, because we live life in these flesh suits, and these flesh suits want anything that's opposite of God. So, temptation is so attractive because it's innately been put in us after the fall. Like that, that is something that we all suffer from. But also, our culture, our world, American society specifically, does not help that by allowing this stuff to just be uh, around us every day. So, let's keep it moving. Here's one for you that I think is gonna uh, kinda uh, knock your socks off. <laughs> I'm not wearing socks, bro. You're not wearing socks, so now it doesn't work. Okay, so, the question <laughs> is, do you think men struggle with body issues as much as women do? Yes. Do, do you want more? Do you? I, yeah, can you elaborate? Yeah, oh, okay, 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 cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the reason I say yes is censoring, sorry, just taking a moment to process. <laughs> um, every single commercial for dudes underwear has a dude with six pack. So we are kind of fighting the same battle that women in, do in like the physical to physical comparison. 
Um, but also there's kind of a lot of other things. So back to your Hollywood thing and like the James Bond-esque movies, those dudes aren't flabby. <laughs> they, <laughs> they are toned. They are, you know, trained to have a certain physique that is desirable. Um, so yeah, I would say that men struggle with that, but um, I think that a lot of men also struggle with kind of the, um, the mental part of that too. You know, like, looking in into some of those movies like oh he's he's really suave and cool but i'm kind of a loser like like we go through that part as well so yeah we do like i wish i had i had a better calf my calves are kind of flabby but i'll get over it i'll just run a little bit dude you run like 13 miles every day dude i did a 5k yesterday it was awesome yeah feel great all right why is it so hard to admit out loud after you have sinned? I think it's vulnerability. And I say that because for most dudes, for most dudes, it's hard to just talk in general about things that we deal with. Like, when, even if it's a small thing, like, hey, like, I had a bad day today. Like, okay. That's not necessarily a big deal, but it's even hard for us to articulate that. So to articulate something deeper than that, like, hey, I, you know, I cussed my boss out today. Like, for us to, to, to admit that because our heart was not in the right place. I'm not saying that you saying something in general is bad. I'm saying the posture of my heart and cussing my boss out was probably not the best. So because of that, it's hard, it would be hard for me to articulate that in general, much less have to identify that there was a problem with it. Uh, and I think because of that vulnerability, we, like, because we're scared, like you were saying, like with worship, you know, it, I, I'd rather just not, I'd rather just not say anything at all. You know, I don't want to have to admit that there's something wrong with me. And because society says you have to have it all put together all the time, right now, put together. Put your best smile on, get your hair did, wear your best clothes, and you know, when you take a selfie, make sure you put, you, you know, you may have taken 15 selfies, but make sure you put selfie number 13 because it's the best. Don't put the mother ones up there because you always have to put the best version of you, you know, out there. The problem with that though is I don't feel like I can be vulnerable with my accountability people if I'm always trying to be perfect. So I don't feel like I can come to my brother and say, hey man, I've sinned in this way. Whether it's like something where, hey man, we really need to get this in check or it's something that I'm just struggling with and I'm allowing God to work with me through it. If I'm always trying to be perfect in front of people, I don't have the freedom to do that. So I think that's why it's hard for us to admit it in general, like to ourselves, but also to even verbalize it out loud. That was a good question. So here's one uh, that's kind of controversial, but kind of funny as well. Can Christians cuss, curse, any of that stuff? Can we? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Is that it? Should we cuss? Should we? Um, It depends. The reason I say it depends is, you know, this is is probably you who said this at... I don't know. Um, we, well, what you just said, it, it, your posture in the situation, it kind of depends on where you at, where, where, where you at, where you at, where you, 
where you're at kind of mentally and where your heart is in that situation. Um, because, you know, uh, oh, I can't remember the scripture. Oh, it's it's like it right in the back of my head. Um, I can't remember. Man, that's going to bug wait, me. Wait a minute, what noise was that? <laughs> Uh, you know, we, we shouldn't talk bad about each other. We shouldn't slander each other. All those things. Most of the time, there are explicits in those situations. But um, I think that using non-explicit words with the same intention is just as bad. So, eh, using a cuss word because your grandma says it's a cuss word, I don't think really counts in the sense of does it matter for your heart and where your heart's at. So, can we? Yeah. Should we? And it depends on who you ask. It all depends on what you're trying to communicate. Yeah, that's good. That is good. Um, this is a two-part. Okay. Why are Christians so judgmental? And is it okay? Oh, this is so complicated to answer, but I'm, I'm going to give it my all. So, why are ju- Christians so judgmental? I believe that it didn't start that way. I know, right? That's crazy. Because Christians have always been judgmental. Wrong. If you take the word Christian and take it back to when people who follow Christ were originally called Christian, first of all, that word was a bad thing. If people were identified as Christians, they were that means little Christ. So they were identified to be a follower of Jesus. If you were identified to be a follower of Jesus, you're probably going to get killed. So Christians, was a, that was a negative thing back in the day, over 2,000 years ago. But in saying that, like, Pharisees have always been judgmental people. But Christ never called us to be that type of person. And I say it so dramatically so that way we can all understand that. This was not the heart of Christ for us to be this way. I believe over time, with our legalistic views on things, with our traditions included in that, that there's certain things that the church has said, you shouldn't do that because it's not your best. And you shouldn't do that because it's not your best has turned into, you shouldn't do that. And you shouldn't do that has turned to, don't do that, you're gonna go to hell. And it's like, wait a minute. I can wear my hat in church. I'm not gonna go to hell if I wear my fitted. I'm just saying, nowhere in the Bible does it say I cannot wear my hat. But I believe the heart of that was a cultural thing. I think in some church, somebody came in wearing a hat and to that culture, it was disrespectful, but not overtly sinful. So I think there's a lot of things that because we have those legalistic views and you know traditionalistic views on things, that in and of itself can cause a person to be judgmental because you see somebody and you associate them with a type of people or type of uh, stereotype and you go, hey, you shouldn't be that, you shouldn't do that. When it's like, nah, man, get to know the person, get to know the hard person. So uh, that's why I think Christians Christians can be judgmental. Uh, and what was the second part? So, and is it okay? Is it okay? It's not okay. Um, like I've already touched on it, that's not the heartbeat of Christ. Christ has called us to love people and have grace. Now in that grace though, it doesn't mean that I agree with what they're doing. But to judge somebody to Jesus is going to be a lot harder than loving them to Jesus. Your love and your display of who Christ is is going to be a lot. Uh, it's going to be a lot more beneficial to them and you 
than you telling them the list of do's and don'ts. Like that, the list of do's and don'ts don't, doesn't help anybody. It just makes people feel like they have to conform to a religious set of rules. And if they break one rule, they're going to hell. That is no way to live. And that's not how Jesus has called us to live. So uh, I know we're kind of running uh, out of time here, but I do want to get this last question in. Uh, so if you just stick with us a little bit longer, I want to ask Daniel this last question and we'll wrap up here. So my last question for you is, do you think the Bible supports stay-at-home dads? Yes. And the reason I say yes is because in every biblical reference to men and fathers in leadership, there's very few that I have read that I can recall to memory right now that say you have to do your work outside of the home to support your family. Everything that I recall, and I'm saying that because, yes, I have read by you know the Bible cover to cover, but do I recall it all? Absolutely the frick not. <laughs> so from what I recall, yes, because, um, you know, being at home and, and for dads who, you know, have that opportunity to lead their family at home and maybe their wife goes out, you know, and she works and she has a career and that's something that she wants to do, you know, those dads get all of the time that, you know, some of us want with the kids. And, um, you know, there is, like Lindsay, she gets to stay home with our boys and she is the heartbeat and rhythm of our household and i love it she is there 24 7 with the boys and so in the end yes we discuss and i have like a final say in big decisions it's really cool that she has you know she has that power to kind of move within our household and men can absolutely do that you know it doesn't i don't have to go and earn the bacon bring home the bacon and cook the bacon to support my family spiritually. So, you lied to the people. Oh, you have one more for me? No, we have a couple of questions. Oh, so, okay. from the people. So, thanks, people. Oh, sweet. So, uh, we'll both answer these. Um, how do you. A <clears throat> little backstory. So, this came with a, a little tiny message that we both seem really upbeat in podcasts and videos and posts and things. How do you encourage yourself? Uh, so, I guess I'll go first. Um, well, <laughs> most of what you hear over this podcast is just my personality. Like, I'm, I'm just an exuberant, excited, extroverted person. I'll even throw that word in there because I'm very extroverted. I'm very outgoing. I love people. I'm very social. Uh, but I definitely have my days where I'm just like, what is the point? I, I do. Like, I have those days. Um, and lately, because we've been going through some things uh, with our, our cars and stuff, I'm just like, man, what the heck, man? So how do I encourage myself? I encourage myself by hanging out with people who can pour into me, one. Uh, my pastor, who's also my mentor, number two. And three, like, I listen to music that lifts me up and lifts the name of Jesus. And I say that first part on purpose because there's some music that... I listen to that's not overtly talking about Jesus, but it's definitely about putting my best foot forward. It's definitely encouraging. It's definitely motivating. And I definitely love my my, my hip-hop, you know, my gospel hip-hop. I definitely love, you know, my, all kinds of music, really. But all of that plays a part to encourage me to 
be focused on God's mission for the day, which is to make disciples, to make disciples, to make disciples, to make disciples, to make disciples. Um, and in those disciples is my wife, is my kids, is, you know, the person that I've encountered at HEB, the people that I meet at church, whatever. I still have a mission to do that. And if I am not overflowing from the blood of Jesus because of something that I've intentionally decided to uh to use a pour into myself, then I'm going to be dry by the time I get to the people that God wants me to reach. So, um, I, oh, this is going to sound so bad. I'm kind of innately a, um, a, a pessimistic person. So I really turn to a lot of people in my life to help me, uh, like Antoine, like when I'm having a bad day, I'll text him. Um, I'll text Lindsay, you know, my wife. Um, I follow some men's groups and go and look for words of encouragement. Um, but it's kind of a, a task and a skill that I'm still working on. Like, I think encouraging yourself isn't innate for some people. Like, it's, it's definitely a muscle that you have to work out. So it's something that I continue to work on. Um, but I really try to strive for excellence when I'm sharing the word of God with anyone because if I'm not putting forth my best in that then i worry that too much of me and not enough jesus is going to show so that's kind of my mindset so i have a question um from one of the people who listen to our podcast as well um and this is a really good one uh, and i'm going to read it um and i may read it again just so i can get understand the fullness of the question so the question is why is there a stigma for guys that have a problem you know, where they can't do something because they have like body issues or stuff like that, but their wives can. Um, so because of that, other people look at them and they're just like, hey, like, why can't you do that? Or there's kind of this negativity about the fact that they can't uh, do the things that a man should be doing. So, um, you know, I'll start with that and then I'll let you go, Daniel, because I'm pretty sure you have some wisdom for this. But I think it's because there's all, well one men we are always in competition women are too but men it's different it's a different type of competition like I always have to be doing such and such to prove my manhood when I don't have to prove my manhood because my manhood is secure in Christ so I think for men who are struggling you know whether it's a, a mental issue or if it's a physical issue and your wife has the skill set to tackle some of those house things, you know, whether it's like, you know, fixing the car or fixing the backyard fence or whatever, you know, whatever those things that you would think are man things. First, we should empower our wives to do those things. You know, that episode that we talked about empowering our wives, that two-parter, um, we should empower them to do that because, uh, you know, they can do it too. Uh, but number two, I, I think that in this competition, if we don't feel like we're living up to what other men can do, we don't feel like we can be men at all. And that is such a lie. That is such a lie from the pit of hell. And if you're thinking that, please contact us because we want to pray for you. And for anybody that's telling you you're less of a man because you can't do this and that and such and so and all that stuff, man, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that at all. You're a man because God has called you to be a man. You're a man because you're taking care of your family. If you can fix a car engine, but you're not pouring into your family, you're not a man at all. And I think stereotypes have, have screwed up that mindset of what a man can be. 
So for, for those of you that, that, that are thinking that or are, are being haunted by those thoughts from family members or friends or whatever, do not believe that. Christ is your role model for what a man is, not society. So I'm going to go very practical with this. Um, and honestly, for anyone who's in that situation, you need to find a better support group. So say in a very practical way, uh, you know, there's a married couple, the guy, uh, you know, for whatever reason, say he loses a limb, like he doesn't have an arm. It doesn't make sense for him to be able to carry things in and out of the house, right? So um, there's not a stigma there because, oh, I can see that you're missing an arm. Okay, you can't do those things. But say um, there is a man who has crippling anxiety in social settings, and so he literally cannot go to the grocery store, but his wife can. And so when she comes home, he helps her carry the groceries and things in. And, you know, same situation, maybe he walks up to the front of the grocery store, but literally cannot go inside. Say there's, you know, that that's where the anxiety starts. Um, so there's the stigma, right? You see that guy, he walks her up to the front and goes and sits in the truck. He's a piece of crap. But what you don't see is when she gets home, he carries everything inside for her. He puts up all of the groceries for her. He cooks dinner for her. He does the laundry for her because he can't go into that grocery store. So for those men out there, I would like to tell you that that stigma doesn't matter because those people are only seeing a small percentage of your life. They're not seeing all of the pouring into your household and to your family that you're doing. Now, if they see that stigma and you're not pouring into your family, that's where the issue lies and, and work on that. But don't let the stigma bother you. Um, last question that I have from the people. Oh, this is a great question. What is wrong with the phrase, love the person, hate their sin? So I'll start with this one because you started the last two. Um, I think that this is a really, really dangerous phrase. And the reason I say that, oh, um, I had a really, really good friend that his family used this phrase on him and um, he turned to drugs and tried to kill himself a couple times because his homosexuality was a sin and they hated that part of him but didn't hate him. I'm not condoning the homosexuality aspect. What I'm saying is, when you hate the sin and don't help the person, it's the same as hating both. When you say, I hate your sin and I'm not gonna help you, you might as well just say, I hate you, get out anyways to their face. So when you, when you use that phrase, you are enabling the people to keep sinning because it's okay, I love you, I just hate your choices. And you can't do that because that's like, oh, I really hate that you beat your wife. I hate that, but I like you. You're a great person. Just don't beat your wife again. You know, it's, it's enabling all of these bad behaviors that over time they bring on more because they think, oh, they just hate the sin, but I'm okay. And, and those sins turn into more sins, more dangerous sins. Um, and we never help the person, you know, and that's not... That's not who Christ called us to be. He, he never called us to say, love half of your neighbor. He said, love all of your neighbor. And when you really love someone and you really think about what Christ did for us when he died for us is, you should be constantly praying for all of that person, not just the parts that you like. Man, this is a really good one. 
I think about uh, the scripture where it talks about speaking truth and love. Uh, you know, a lot of times we like to speak a whole lot of truth because truth, 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 truth. You need to hear the truth, nothing but the truth. Uh, and then a lot of times we just love, just love everybody, just love. They don't need to know that. Just, just if you love them, it'll be okay. But you know, Christ has called us to use both. Um, I read this quote on Facebook one time. It was, let me make sure I don't mess this up. So, truth without love is legalism. But love without truth is liberalism. And I'm not talking politics here. What I'm simply saying is, if you have one without the other, you're in a dangerous place. And this, this, this term, you know, love the person without the sin, you know, like you said, it's really like, it's like saying like, I've, I'm there for you, but not in the parts where you need me the most. And if I really love somebody, I'm going to rescue them out of their situation, not just allow them to be in their situation. But hey, don't do it when you're around my, me and my family. You know, clean up before you come up. You know, don't don't come on with the with the cocaine stains on your nose. Like, no, like, hey. I love you so much that I'm going to tell you the truth about the situation. And the truth about the situation is it's not just a sin. It's not God's best for you at all. At all. Well, it makes me feel good. I understand it makes you feel good, but it's also costing you a lot. And I think we have to be real with people. Um, and also, if you truly love that person, you're going to have a relationship with them. Like really have a relationship where you can talk about those things in such a way that they still understand that you care for them. I think a lot of times what we want to do is we want to love people to the point of convenience and as soon as it's inconvenient for us then it's like oh that was too much. Like I even use a homosexuality thing like if you're hanging out with somebody you know they're gay and they want to go to a place where there's a bunch of gay people. Are you just not going to be their friend for five hours while they're going to this gay bar? Or are you still their friend, but there's just a part of them that you wish they would give to Christ? You can still be their friend, love them, not agree with what they're doing, but at the same time, help them. And how you help them is not condemning them. It's revealing Jesus in their situations. They can see the beauty of who he is. So yeah, man, that, that's a really good question. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that you guys stuck with us. You know, we've been at this for almost 45 minutes. And I'm just so thankful that you're here listening to us. And if you have more questions, even if we don't do another uh, question extravaganza this season, we still want your questions because even if we don't answer them over the podcast, we can still hit you up on our Messenger or Facebook or IG and all that good stuff. So any last words for the people, Daniel? Um... This is, I think, both of our favorite episode that we get to do, um, and my, my prayer for this episode is that there was just a question or an answer or a phrase or even just a word that someone needed to really work through one of these issues because we, we kind of hit on a lot of really controversial topics. They're not, you know, super focused, but we definitely kind of skated across the board um, on just a lot of different things. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. This is something that um, we don't, <laughs> you know, we don't really plan for. So this is kind of our open and honest right now. Yeah, so thanks for tuning in. Like I said before, I kind of glossed over it, but you can definitely hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can email us, humblehusbandofficial at gmail.com to definitely give us more questions, comments, concerns. Uh, 
you know, if you want to send me uh, money, my cash up is at Tuan Lee. You can definitely, I'm just playing. But <laughs> thank you for listening. I know <laughs> that this is an episode that is really fun, but at the same time, we hit a lot of topics. If you want more clarity on those topics, please hit us up. But until next time, this is season two, episode four, Question Extravaganza, and we'll see y'all next time. Peace. <laughs>